So in two weeks from now, we are starting a new series called New Beginnings in Genesis, and I'm very, very, very excited about this. We're going to hit the ground, and we're going to go running. And, but before we get there, for the next two weeks, we're going to look at God's vision and mission for your life and the church. For the next two weeks, God's mission and God's vision for your life and for the church. And today, what we're looking at is, we're asking this question, what is my purpose? Our culture is obsessed. We get really whiny about this. We're, we, we get to these points in our life where we're like, I just don't know what my purpose is in this world, and we get super whiny about it. And today, in the verses that we are reading, all you got to do is you open up your Bible and you see very clearly that God has a very, very specific purpose for your life. Now, when I say specific, I'm speaking broadly though, but our verses are not going to tell you what job you're supposed to take. Our verses are not going to tell you who you're supposed to marry and where you're supposed to live. That requires wisdom. What our verses are telling us, broadly speaking, is exactly what you are supposed to do with your life. Telling you exactly what you are supposed to do while you have found the job you're supposed to have, the person you're supposed to marry, the place where you're supposed to live. The verses are telling you exactly what you are supposed to do in those things. And that's what we're looking at today um, with complete clarity. Now, I want you to know this. The Christian story is happening all around us. God's redemptive purposes, his salvation purposes are happening all around us. And here's what God invites us into. He invites us to take part in his redemptive history, meaning He's inviting us in to his purposes, and he always uses his people to accomplish his purposes. And that's what we're looking at today. So, essentially what we're doing, what these verses are saying is join the cause of Christ. All right, so let's look at the purpose. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples, by the way, again, remember, Your ultimate purpose in life, it's right here. It's coming for you. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all. All I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying right here, your primary purpose in life is to make disciples. Primary purpose, make disciples. What does that mean? To make disciples means to help people come to faith and help people grow in faith. Look, it's right there. Come to faith and grow in faith. So it says baptizing them. That means helping them come to faith and grow in faith. That is saying teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. So come to faith, grow in faith. So much is at stake for the people around you and for you and for us. And our culture tends to downplay eternity. And what Jesus is saying here is that there is nothing of greater importance than my kingdom in ushering those whom I have destined to become mine into 
this kingdom. Nothing is of greater importance. Now, let me make sure that you understand this. To make disciples, to help people come to faith and grow in faith, it does not mean you leave your job and become a pastor. In fact, what it means is you stay in the job that you have, and wherever you are, wherever God has carried you, wherever that is, you are making disciples in that place. Let me prove this. In the original language, this word go, where it says go therefore and make disciples, this word go is a passive participle, which means the correct reading should go like this. As you are going, be making disciples. As you are going, make disciples. Meaning, and by the way, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So this is, this is what this means. Jesus, as king, is orchestrating your life in such a way where he's opening opportunities and closing opportunities to bring you right along where you are supposed to go in life. And as, you, as he is carrying you along to the place where you work, the place where you live, the person that you're married to, as that's happening, you are making disciples along the way. Now, he's king. He's ushering you along. Now, potentially, what's happening is you have this image in your mind of what that's supposed to look like, and, and you, you might be off a bit about what it is. So I just want, I want to paint a picture. I want to paint a few pictures. So the per, first picture I want to paint is, instead, let's just imagine... God says, doesn't, he doesn't say, let's go make disciples. He says, let's build a mountain together. He says, let's go build a mountain. So he doesn't say that, by the way, but let's just imagine for a second. Now, so a beautiful mountain. So you're called to build this beautiful mountain. And how you build that is very dependent upon what the landscape is. So if you are on flat land, building a mountain looks very different than if you come upon this big, huge mound that's already a mountain, but it's not a beautiful mountain, it's an ugly mountain. And so you're called to restore it, you're called to renew it. So it's very different. So here's my point. Let's say somebody is, is going to a foreign country where they have never heard about Christianity. Essentially what they're doing is this is a flat land. And they are speaking the good news about Jesus in an attempt to build the mountain up. But the present landscape that we are in in America is this. There's already a mountain there. People are already familiar with Christianity, the idea of Christianity. However, here's the problem. Many people have misunderstood Christianity. There's something wrong. They're viewing a mountain that is not the way that it's supposed to be. They're viewing Christianity not as it is. If Christianity, here, here's what I mean, if Christianity does not sound like the greatest news that people around you have ever heard, they are most likely misunderstanding it, meaning they're not seeing the mountain correctly. So we have to tear down everything that's wrong with the mountain so that they might see Christianity for what it really is. So when I meet with people, we start talking about what I'm doing, and they have problems with the church, or they're skeptical of Christianity, or they're angry at God, or they're angry at the church. I start exploring all this stuff with them, and when I ask them what their view of Christianity is and what Christianity means to them, nine times out of ten, they're missing, actually, the core of what Christianity is. So they're... 
completely misunderstanding Christianity, and a lot. So they're and they're rejecting it, but they're not actually rejecting Christianity. They're rejecting the, what they understand Christianity to be. And so the landscape that we are in is that we are clarifying Christianity for people, specifically in our area, based off of all the people that I've been talking to in our area. If people around you don't think that Christianity is the greatest news they've ever heard, they are likely misunderstanding it. So let me paint a picture of what it means to clarify Christianity in the context that we are in. You are called to make disciples. You're called to help people come to faith and grow in faith. Okay, so what does that look like? Well, here's a potential image of it. Here's a potential picture. Here's a potential of how this movie plays out in your life. So you have a friend. This friend is a coworker. This friend is a neighbor. This friend is your, your child's kid, friend's parent. And so you're developing this relationship with this person, and they are, they're either against Christianity, they're angry at the church, um, church is irrelevant, whatever it might be. Okay, this, play this out in your mind. Think of somebody in your, in your mind. And so they're, they're rejecting it, but you're building this relationship with them. And as this is happening, because you're friends, becoming friends with them, and because you love them, God has commanded us to love people, and you have problems loving people, but as you have problems loving people, and you're obeying the command to love people, what happens is you actually start to learn to love people. Because you're seeing what's going on in your heart, you're seeing you not love people, you say, God, I need to love people, help me do this, and so he starts working on your heart, and then you start loving these people. So you're loving the people in your life that you're reaching out to, and you begin to share with them and tell them that you're a Christian. And you tell them about the church that you go to, and you just talk about how awesome it is. And you're, you're doing this, and, and maybe conversations start happening about Christianity. And maybe the first conversation's three minutes long, maybe the next one's six minutes long, maybe the next one's 15 minutes long, and then it keeps going. And as this is happening, you have friends from the Grove, and so you're inviting your friend that you're reaching out to, you're making disciples. You're inviting your friend to hang out with your friends from the Grove. And those friends from the Grove are loving them because they're commanded to love them. And so that, but they also want to love them because they're learning to love them. And so they say, oh, wow, this is, this is attractive. And that continues to happen. And eventually, you might invite them to Sunday morning. Maybe you'll invite them to a Bible study. Maybe you will just invite them into a group of friends. Then they come enough times and they're exposed to the message long enough and they're, they're becoming more and more interested. Maybe they start coming on Sunday morning once a month. Maybe that turns into every other week. Um, and then six months down the road, a year down the road, someone in the family comes to faith and then that continues to happen and then someone else in the family comes to the faith and then it's time for this family to be baptized. And so you, because you walked alongside of them along the way and because you've been loving them dearly, you say, I'd like to take part. in." So, so you stand beside them as they are being baptized. That's a beautiful picture, but guess what? It's not done yet. Because you have helped them come to faith. But now what's next? You have to help them grow in faith. So then the next year you spend investing in them, helping them grow in faith. And they continue to grow in faith. And then they come to realize after a year, you know what? I want to do what you did with me with somebody else. And so then they start investing in someone. And a year down the road, that person's being baptized. So guess what that just means? You have stood beside someone who was baptized and then now you are watching them as they're standing beside someone else and that person is being baptized. That is what it means to make disciples. 
And because of the landscape we are in, typically this is a very long process. It's a long process. But listen, can you imagine what would happen if all of us were intentionally committed to doing that? Can you imagine what would happen if everybody in the Treasure Coast was committed to doing that? We'd see a movement happen. I have no doubt about that. So, I want to ask this question then. What does it look like? What is the posture we take when we're making disciples? And there's a, the Bible says a whole lot about this. I'm just going to look at three things. I want to just focus in on three. So, the, the first posture is a sacrificial posture. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus is giving his command to go and make disciples, it looks a little bit different. John gives his perspective of it, and here's how John describes it. So Jesus essentially says this to the disciples. He comes up to them, he shows them his hands that have holes in them, the side that's been pierced, and he says, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. Now, that would have absolutely floored the disciples. Let me tell you why. I want you to do this with me. Okay, Jesus has just showed them his hands and his side. What would they be picturing? The place where he got those holes in his hands inside. So I want you to just close your eyes right now. I'm going to make you do it, so you have to all do it. Even you, Tim. I see you fighting me here. Uh, Close your eyes. Picture Christ crucified. Now here's his words to you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Whoa, okay, you can open your eyes now. Don't fall asleep on me. All right, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Now, I'm not telling you that to make disciples, you're going to die on a cross. Well, figuratively, but literally, no. Although, of those 11 disciples that are there, 10 of them died on a cross, all besides John. Here's what I'm saying, though. There's a posture of sacrifice that is absolutely required if you are going to live into the purpose that God has called you to, which is to help people come to faith and grow in faith. There is a posture of sacrifice. That means this for you. There is a death involved. There's a death to your time. There's a death to your money because you're going to be investing in people. You're going to have them over for dinner. So you have them over for dinner. What's going to happen when they come over for dinner? Well, you're going to have to spend money on dinner. So your bank account's dying a bit. You're spending time. You're losing time. And here's what it all boils down to. You have found that Christianity is the greatest news you've ever heard. And you are willing to do whatever it costs for people to see that who Jesus is and what he has done changes everything. But it will always require a posture of sacrifice. Always. But it's worth it. That's the first thing. Second thing, there's a togetherness that happens as we're making disciples. You see this all throughout the New Testament. Paul, whenever he's out on one of his missionary journeys, he always has someone with him. And actually, there's a place where he's alone, and he leaves that place to go be with Timothy, the person who's with him a lot. He wants to be with people as he's making disciples. We see the, the, the other disciples in Jerusalem, and they're together as they're seeking to make disciples. The church is called the body of Christ, meaning together God has gifted us in different ways so that together we might make disciples. 
That's second. Third, you have to be a bit of a chameleon. Uh, So here's what I mean by that. Paul says in one of his letters to the churches, I become all things to all people so I might win them to Christ. Meaning he's saying I'm getting into their world without being of their world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I have a completely different way of living this Christian kingdom, but yet I'm getting into their world. So, I mean, this actually plays out in a very practical, weird way uh, for Paul. So, so Paul's trying to invest in this group of people. Uh, and um, in this cult, well, let me say it this way. Paul had been arguing, for something that sounds strange for us, but he'd been arguing that circumcision is not necessary for salvation. Circumcision at the time was a sign that you were part of God's people. He says this is not necessary for salvation and makes this whole long argument for it. I mean, he spends a lot of time arguing for this. And then, after he argues for it, he goes and has Timothy circumcised. Why? So that Timothy, into the people that they are trying to reach, so that that he can get into their world, and they might let him in, so that they could bring this message in. Now, one, it's kind of weird that everybody knows who's circumcised. Like, they're wearing robes. Like, I know this is a little inappropriate, but you got to think about this. Like, how, how does everybody know who's circumcised? Like, that's strange. Do you see what I'm saying? You should be laughing more then. You're allowed to laugh. Okay. Or say ew. It is kind of ew. So he goes to these great lengths in order to get into people's worlds so that he might win them to Christ. He's He's being a chameleon. All right. Now, okay, now maybe you're saying, wow, this is asking a lot from me. You're asking a lot from me. Well, no, I'm not actually. God is asking a lot from you. But wouldn't it make sense that the ultimate and greatest purpose that God has called you to, wouldn't it make sense that it would require some sacrifice? Because anything that we want in life that truly matters requires sacrifice. So if it's the greatest thing that God could call us to do, and it becomes the greatest want that we have in our lives, doesn't it make sense that it would require some sacrifice? Doesn't it make sense that we would want to do whatever it takes to see people come to faith and grow in faith? The question isn't, should you do this? The question isn't, is this hard? And the question isn't, is this worth it? The question is, why aren't you doing it? Have you heard of the the hero's journey? This is a pattern that almost every great story has. So the hero's journey goes like this. You watch this, you look in the stories, and it always has this movies you watch. There's always something here. So here's how it goes. There's a normal person, and they are called to a purpose or this adventure. And the very next thing that they do is they refuse the calling. They refuse the purpose. They refuse the adventure. And then some mentor comes along, some guide comes along and encourages them to live into the purpose that they have been called to 
and walks with them along the way. And as they're doing this, they go through some difficulties, but they're developing friends and enemies along the way. And then right when they're about to succeed in their purpose, right when it's all about to happen, things become impossible. It looks like all hope is lost. Everyone's ready to give up. And then somehow in the end, this hero succeeds in what he or she's trying to do. And there's a big celebration. That's pretty much the pattern of every great story. Why do we love that story? Because it's pointing us towards the ultimate hero. Besides one thing, our ultimate hero, Christ, never refuses the call. But guess what we're doing? Here's the other thing it means. We're called to follow Jesus. We're called to follow after our great hero. That means we're do, seeking to do the things that he is doing. So that means the hero's journey is a bit for us as well. Only here's what happens. As you go down this journey, do you know the, really, really how far you typically get? Statistically speaking, the Christian gets right up, the, the average Christian in church gets right up to the point to where it's the refusal of the calling or the refusal of the purpose and says, stops right there. Statistically speaking, you will spend your life sitting, watching as others make disciples. Don't do that. Don't do that. But statistically, you will. And do you want me to tell you why? Let me tell you why we do that. Because you and I have a worship problem. The reason why you aren't compelled by compassion to help people come to faith and grow in faith is because you have a worship problem. Something that's always missed in these, I mean, these are famous verses for this great calling and purpose God's given us. And you know what's always missed? What's in verse 16? Did you see what was in verse 16? Do you know what the disciples are doing right before Jesus says, go and make disciples? Do you know what they're doing? They're worshiping him. It's not that he says, go and make disciples, and they start worshiping. They're in the midst of worshiping him, and then he says, now go, help people come to faith and grow in faith. The degree that you are connected to Christ is the degree that you will connect others to Christ. The degree that you are worshiping Christ is the degree that you will connect others to Christ. You know what worship is doing? It's driving you out into your purpose. It's driving you out into your mission. And then you get out into your mission and purpose and realize, oh, my mission and purpose is really to go and help people worship him. And so worship drives you to mission and mission drives others to worship. We're all looking for our purpose in the world and you will never find the ultimate purpose you were created for until you are in worship of him. Do you know that the most satisfying thing that you could ever do in your life is to worship God? Because you are wired for it. Every single one of you are looking for something that is glorious enough for you to finally find that object that will satisfy your desire for something glorious so that you might worship it. Every single one of you are looking for something glorious enough to worship. And then watch what happens. Here's what you have to know. Whatever you think is most glorious in your life, that is what you will worship. 
And that object that you worship is where you go to to find your purpose in life. So think about that. Whatever you think is most glorious is where you go to find your purpose in life. And all, all of the world is just saying over and over and over again, I can't find my purpose in life. And it's because we're in worship of the wrong thing. And you can make anything the object of your worship. So let's just play this out for a minute. Let's take our kids. Make your children the most glorious thing in your life. Easy mistake to do. It almost sounds noble. But here's what happens. If your kids become the most glorious thing to you in your life, you're going to them to find your purpose. They become your purpose. They become everything. They're the most glorious thing to you. And then, so, oh, what do I do? Oh, well, I got to give them everything. And so we spoil them. Thinking we're doing the best thing for them and actually what we're doing is destroying them. Because they're saying, I should be worshipped. Or you make the mistake of thinking, oh man, they're, they are the most glorious thing. They are everything, so what do I do? Well, I think I've got to make them into the exact version that they should be. And so you seek to make them into the exact version of them that you think they should be. Meanwhile, God has a completely different idea of what God has for their life. And so you're leading them into this direction. There's no place where God wants them to go. And you suffocate them under the pressure of becoming who you want them to be versus who God wants them to be. You know what we're called to do with our kids? We're called to make them into disciples of Christ. And you will never succeed in doing that if they are the most glorious thing to you because now where do you have to point them to? If God is not the most glorious thing to you in your life, where are you going to point your kids to what's most glorious? If it's not God, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be them. And so what you're doing is you're saying, you got to find what's most glorious, and I think you're most glorious, and so they think that they're the most glorious, and we wonder why they're becoming selfish. You know, so I'm, I'm like the, I don't know where the cutoff for being a millennial is, but I think I'm either at the, I think I'm the oldest you could be to be a millennial. Maybe it's a little older. And the generation who raised millennials um, always likes to give millennials a hard time. But here's what I might, we might say this. The reason millennials are the way that they are is because millennials have been worshipped by their parents and given us everything we wanted. You guys are like, I don't know how to react to this right now. Um, But think about it. Now, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think it makes a lot of sense. And by the way, if you want to give millennials a hard time, just remember, if you've raised a millennial, remember, you are the generation that put carpet over wood floors. Just remember that. And, and you, know why, you know why you probably did that? Is because you didn't want us to fall and bump our head because you were worshiping us. Now, okay, so that's with our kids. Let's take our spouse or a love interest. 
So we make our love interest or our spouse the object of our worship, and then do you know what we start doing? We start saying to the world around us, look at how much we love each other. Look at this. Isn't this amazing? And do you know what the whole purpose of marriage is? The whole purpose of marriage is that there's an alien foreign love that's entered into your marriage, God, Christ, and as this happens, this love is reflected out to the world. So the purpose of marriage is for the world around you to see how great God's love is for you and it's reflecting into your marriage and out. Or you make this, your spouse or your, this love interest the object of your worship and then you just say, I just want to make them happy. And the problem is you can't make them happy. They need God to make them happy. You will never, ever, ever be enough. Or your career. Chase success, money, power, and whatever, whatever you, your endeavors are. And you chase after this. But in the end, in the end, there's little reward in these things. Nothing is more rewarding than ushering someone into God's kingdom to be with him. And then forever you are with that person, dining in the halls of heaven forever with God, enjoying every bit of it. Nothing is more rewarding than that. Don't waste your life, but I promise you, you will if you worship the wrong thing. And, it, it, listen, if you're skeptical of Christianity and you've had experiences where Christians have been jerks to you, where Christians have been unloving to you, where Christians have been, that has caused you to have this view of God and this view of church that is wrong and off, I want you to know that in that moment, that Christian that did whatever they did to you that was wrong, they were not in worship in that moment. Had they been in worship, they would have been loving Speaking truth, and you can do those two things only if you are in worship. Only if you're in worship. You will never engage in God's calling on your life, the ultimate purpose you were created for if you're not in worship. You'll never have the motivation to sacrifice and to be selfless if you're not in worship of God. Because only his glory is so great that it gets your attention off of yourself and onto the one who will finally satisfy the deep desires of your heart. So how do we get to the point to where we're doing this? How do we get to worship? I mean, how do we really get to worship God? If we have this great worship problem, what do we do? You have to go back and you have to look at this. God took a hero's journey to come and get you. Watch this. Watch. God, the most glorious, the definition of glory, it becomes a normal human being. Huh? It becomes a normal human being. One mission come and rescue you through the work of cross and resurrection. Only he never refuses the calling, but takes on the calling with great joy, knowing what it will cost him, but it didn't matter because he knew in the end what it would make you to become his forever. And so he 
comes to his calling, makes friends and enemies along the way. And then, when, every, when, it looks, when his disciples look at him crucified on the cross, and it looks like all hope is absolutely lost, three days later, the impossible happens, rises from the grave, in order to defeat your greatest enemy, sin and death. He came to you who were in a prison of sin and death, chained, and he rips open the prison gates, comes in, tears off of the chains, and carries you out into freedom because you are too weak to do it on your own. That is your hero. That is the hero of all heroes. And if you find him, or better yet, if he comes to get you, once that happens, now you have the courage, you have the desires, you have the compassion needed to go and accomplish the purpose that you were made for. To help people come to faith and grow in faith. Ushering them into his eternal kingdom forever. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you and we come to you as your children and we come to you wanting to understand the depth of the love that drove you to lose everything so that you might gain us. Father, you lost your son for us. Jesus, you lost your father for us. We ask, Spirit, right now that you would scream out within us for our Father so we might know the embrace of a Father through the work of our brother and friend who gave his life for us. And God, as we know that, I pray that you would give us the, the courage to go and do and be who you've called us to be and to go do what you've called us to do, God. Help us in all this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.